From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello and welcome to episode 164 of the Anxiety Project podcast. I am Brad Robinson. Thank you so much for being here today again with me. Today I'm talking about my agoraphobia story. I want to dive into what led me into agoraphobia and what are the solutions? What can you do to get yourself out of this cage that anxiety sufferers seem to lock themselves in? It's like the analogy I always use on this show, the person out in the life raft in the middle of the ocean. That's what an anxiety sufferer feels like. They feel like they're alone, they're trapped, and there's no land. Before I get into this episode, I want to go over your comments on last week's episode, which was a QA. and a I talked about loneliness, and I talked about being stuck in misery as well. Uh, Bo leaves a comment again, who, who's been on the show before. He says, you're absolutely right about feeling alone, even in a world where people are constantly around you. What I found was the more I became comfortable being with myself, the more I appreciated being around others and the less I felt alone. Yes, Bo, I absolutely agree. I think, well, looking back on my recovery, the more I spent time with myself, the more I became comfortable, like you were saying. And I think in that, it was the building of my confidence and independence. Luna leaves a comment saying, thanks Brad for answering my question. I feel like because you've experienced misery with anxiety that it's much easier to connect with you. You speak our language and you make me feel less alone in this journey. Well, Luna, I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I'm sure you're going to resonate with this podcast because I'm talking about my agoraphobia story. Now, before I jump in, I I just want to mention to you that right now, currently, I am challenging myself to cold showers more often every day. Now that it's January, I live in Canada. Right now, it's been reaching minus 15 around there. It's really cold. And so the cold showers are very helpful in the summer, but they're not as cold as they are now. So I really want to challenge myself to doing them every day. And what happens when I get into the the bathroom, my mind will generate a million excuses not to get into that cold shower. And when I do, 
it's like, well, I'm bypassing all of those thoughts and I'm getting in there. And I'm showing myself that, yeah, my mind can think one way, but I'm acting in another, that those thoughts don't define me. And it's very useful for discipline, right? Because the mind tells us what we like and don't like all the time. But does it mean it's right? Absolutely not. The mind can prevent us from, well, pushing ourselves to areas we never knew, to areas we, we didn't know was possible. And what I find with cold showers is that when I started doing them, my pain tolerance was so much lower. And now, because I've been doing cold showers for years, I feel like I am able to handle and confront the pain of every day because we're not always going to feel our best. So what happens when we can are confronted with those days where we're not feeling that great? It's your I think for me I notice that I'm much stronger mentally and physically to handle those days when they come. And they always come. So let's dive into this episode of agoraphobia. First thing is, let's define agoraphobia. And the reason why I talked about my cold showers is because it's going to relate to some aspects of this episode, pain tolerance specifically. So agoraphobia, agoraphobia, agoraphobia is when you shrink your world down smaller and smaller because you avoid places that might cause you to panic and make you feel trapped. Do I suffer from anxiety now? No, I don't suffer. Does my anxiety rise sometimes? Yeah, because I'm a human and I have an amygdala. But it doesn't get over a level four or five because if it gets high enough, I recognize, oh, my mind is too chaotic. I'm one, I have been practicing letting go. So I am more, I can let go of, of things that I, I recognize are, is causing me a lot of distress in my mind. But also I have a tool belt of techniques and strategies that I can implement when things start to get too chaotic. And that's really important. So that's where discipline comes in. The more dis disciplined you are, the more you are likely to handle the situation, the, the trouble. So how did I get to a point in my life where I couldn't even walk a block from my house without suffering from severe panic. Well, first, my panic episodes at this time became more and more frequent. They were overwhelming because I didn't know why I was having them. 
And I felt like I was going crazy because when you have anxiety, you feel out of control. And it's understandably so because the amygdala, your fight, flight, or freeze response, takes over all other brain processes. It's older than your prefrontal cortex, your thinking mind. It's the oldest, it's part of our old, oldest system. And so, for you to think that you control it, that's the wrong way of looking at it. And so when I was in a situation, a public place, and my attention would focus on the strange feelings I had, I would journey down that path of what if. What if I have cancer? What if I lose control and throw up and faint and all of these things would come up? And it was that feeling of not being in control that would send my anxiety to a level 10 immediately. I wanted to know, right? I was desperate to know if I'm healthy, am I fully healthy? That because I don't have the answers to why I feel this way, I increased the severity of my anxiety because I wanted to know, I needed to know the answers to what is going on. I was desperate. I was desperate. And when you are feeling this way and you're in a shopping mall, you're in a public place, wherever you are, and you get these feelings, you look around and you're like, oh my God, I feel like this. Why isn't anybody else feeling like this? And you feel more alone. Because there's a part of you wondering, why are, isn't my mom feeling this way? Why isn't this person over there feeling this way? Why isn't my wife feeling this way? Why am I feeling this way? So many anxiety sufferers, they feel alone. But the truth is, anxiety is, and suffering from anxiety, suffering from panic and agoraphobia, it's extremely common. Unbelievably common. So when I would have a panic episode, what I would do is what I did in the past, I would run out of the environment and phone home. Those were the two things. And you should not do this. And why you shouldn't do this is because when you run and leave an environment because you feel anxious and out of control, and you're suffering from panic. What happens is the amygdala then associates that environment as being a place that needs to be avoided. And then the problem there is that not only the amygdala says, hey, this environment needs to be avoided, the shopping mall specifically, but all other environments like this environment needs to be avoided. So... Eventually, any environment that makes you feel trapped 
and where there's lots of people and where you're away from your safe zone is a place that needs to be avoided. And so you start to shrink your world down smaller and smaller because you go to, say, a concert and then you leave because you feel anxious. So now you're avoiding that concert venue and then you start avoiding many other places and then eventually the only place that you feel remotely safe is your own home. Now, I remember the more I was doing this, the more I would avoid any public place because the feeling of losing control and being away from my safe zone and embarrassing myself in front of other people because of how I was acting with anxiety. But I remember at the time, in the 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 very dark part of my anxiety disorder was when I was out with Maggie, who is now my fiance, and her friends. And I at the time I thought I had a UTI, urinary tract infection infection. Before that, I thought I had an STD because well, before I met Maggie, I was on dating apps and I was seeing multiple people online and and then my past was just catching up to me because I was consistently engaging in impulsive pleasures on dating apps and not feeling too great about that. Because when you do those kinds of behaviors with multiple people, feelings get involved, and then there are many snakes that pop up. Well, what if they get pregnant? What if I get an STD? What if you know emotions get involved? And all of these things pop up because... Well, that's what happened to me when I would engage in those behaviors. And they they were finally catching up to me because I was like, oh, what if I got an STD from one of those relationships that I got myself involved in that I really didn't want, but I was just doing it for the pleasure of, you know, hooking up. And so it was catching up to me. And it was on my mind, unresolved emotional baggage from my past catching up to me. And so I remember this night, I was very anxious. I was very internal. I wasn't engaging with Maggie's friends. I was like, oh my God, I have an STD because I was feeling feelings down there, you know, in my groin region that my mind was playing out. I never had an STD. I never had a UTI. I thought I did because my mind was carrying this baggage from my past escapades, you can call them. And so I went to the hospital that night. The doctor said, hey, Brad, you know, everything checks out. You don't have an STD. And I was like, doc, I have it. I have it. I have it. He gave me medication. I went home, took the medication. I started to feel worse because I didn't believe in medication. I hated taking medication. I just had this 
gut feeling that medication is only making things worse for my gut and for just my internal processes. That's just what I was thinking. And I wasn't wrong, but that's what I was thinking, right? It was just that feeling. And so I remember rolling, like my symptoms were still there, right? Because I went to the doctor, the doctor made me feel good for a moment, but then I started to feel worse because, well, the feelings were still there. The sensations were still there. The root cause of these sensations was because of my anxiety, but I didn't know I had anxiety at the time. I thought I had a UTI. So the feelings, the strange little tingly sensations, poking, body zaps, these sensations were consistent. And so I couldn't even get out of bed. I remember I called up my sister to come over because I was just afraid of losing control or just even dying. And so I needed someone close, like losing my mind. And I want to take you there. This is, this is why I'm telling you this on this podcast. This is why I share my stories is because I want to take you to the dark parts of my past. I want to take you there because we all have them. We all suffer from something and we all have inadequacies. We all do and make mistakes. So at this time, unable to get out of bed, I thought I was completely lost. I thought I would never get out of this. I felt like I was in a straight jacket, crying in my bed, helpless. It was horrifying. So the question is, how did I end up a prisoner of my own home? Because now my home didn't even feel safe. My mind was a prison. I was in hell. I didn't get an answer to why I felt the way I was feeling. And so I felt more and more lost. The fear of feelings of fear. So the fear of fear itself shrunk my world down to my bedroom. And that's what was underneath the surface. It was the feelings that came about from the fear response being active. So if I was in a public place and I didn't have any loved ones close by to help me, I would feel trapped not only because my loved ones were not here, but also the feelings of dizziness, lightheadedness, the feelings of fainting. Because, well, if I was somewhere and I had the feelings of fainting, well, that would prevent me from leaving because I would take two steps and I would fall down and faint. That's what it felt like. And so 
That's why you can feel trapped with anxiety. I never fainted before from anxiety. It doesn't happen. Well, not with anybody I've known. And it was also the feelings of humiliating myself in front of all of these people for, for possibly fainting or throwing up or acting strange. So ultimately, agoraphobics fear death, and while they die embarrassing themselves in front of other people. Now, I want to touch on something really important as well that I was thinking about when I was planning this podcast. I thought about my childhood and being and growing up inside of this protective bubble. Now, as a young kid, I was able to get out of situations like school or work if I wasn't feeling well, especially later in my life, getting out of work, early 20s. I didn't know how much pain I could handle because each headache or sniffle or strange sensation or even feeling worried, anxious, I was able to back out of those situations. And it wasn't until my mid-twenties where I continuously avoided situations and places that made me feel anxious and worried. If you avoid situations because you have a feeling, then eventually you're going to shrink your world down. You're going to shrink your pain tolerance down. You don't know how much you can handle. Because I feel a little tired, I won't be able to function in school. Because I'm feeling a little bit tired, I won't be able to go to work and function properly. And so I was able to stay home. And this was a mistake. And, well, I know that every parent out there makes mistakes. I will make mistakes as a parent myself. My parents supported my avoidance behaviors. And the more and more I avoided places, the less and less my pain tolerance became. So I'm not saying, well, I am very upset over my family. That's not what I'm saying because I love my family. I am very fortunate to grow up the way I did. And it was then my responsibility to get myself out of the hole I was in and to heal. And so going through recovery, I started to analyze my past. What went wrong exactly? And how can I prevent this in the future? Well, it's so unbelievably enlightening for me to reflect on my younger self 
and see that the more I was avoiding situations because I had that headache or because I was too tired or because I had the sniffles, I view my younger self as somebody who's extremely sensitive and vulnerable and weak, weak-minded. And so the more I was challenging myself through my recovery, the more I realized I am capable of more than I ever thought I was. Anxiety sufferers, health anxiety sufferers, are not comfortable in their own skin. They are not comfortable at all. They view themselves as being extremely unhealthy. Anxiety sufferers don't know what they can do with what they have. And so the answers are outside of their comfort zones. I see many anxiety sufferers become comfortable with their psychiatrist and their medications, and they're still suffering. They say, oh, I'm going to a psychiatrist. I'm getting help, but I'm still suffering. It's not, it's not working. Okay, well, you're going to a psychiatrist one hour a week. What are you doing with all that other time? Are you disciplining yourself? What are you doing? What is your lifestyle like? And this is what I do as a coach. I break down my client's day. What are you doing every day that is making you feel weak? What can you do to lessen your anxiety? All these things, right? And so you can be complacent with that psychiatrist and think, well, I'm seeing somebody, it's just not working. Yeah, well, you're going one hour a week and seeing somebody. Okay, what are you doing with yourself all of that other time, right? Anxiety recovery is a 24-hour job. You have to whip yourself into shape. So growing up, I shrunk my pain tolerance way down. Because any minor ailment was met with concern from my parents. And so that headache or stomach upset, that tiredness would in turn, would reflexively, it would make me think, I am unable to function today. I am unable to handle school today or work today. So then there was this dependency of having this care from my family to make me feel good. And so then there was this dependency of having this care from my family later in my life throughout my 20s when I was suffering from anxiety. I would phone them up or I'd have them constantly around me to make me feel safe. So what's the solution to agoraphobia? Gradual exposure to the thing you are most afraid of. So there are two ways to do this. One, you are systematically desensitize yourself. For example, you go for a walk around the block and you do this until you get bored of it. And then you stretch yourself further and further. Go to the coffee shop, sit there for an hour, come back home. 
You do this until you're bored of the coffee shop and then you stretch yourself even more, right? You keep stretching yourself gradually or you place yourself, this is the flooding technique, into the situation that makes you most fearful and you just survive it so that you can show your fear response that this place won't kill you. There is no magic pill to overcoming agoraphobia or anxiety. You have to train your mind. You have to stick the sword into the fire because when you stick the sword into the in intense heat, what happens? You hammer a pretty damn good sword, but it needs the intense heat to forge it. You need the intense pain to forge your mind, to harden your mind. And the big revelation here is that once you desensitize yourself to one situation, you become braver in all other situations. So for example, if you fear going to the shopping mall and you just focus your goal on becoming bored at the shopping mall, for example, just being there and being comfortable, having your anxiety be a level two, three, four. That's your goal, to walk around the shopping mall and enjoy yourself. Once you do this, once you conquer this one fear, all the other fears that you've had lessen unbelievably in severity. You become braver in all other areas of your life. This was a revelation for me when I discovered this. So focus on one area. Where do you fear? Where do you feel the most fear? If you're suffering from health anxiety or worse, agoraphobia, because that's the ultimate place where you can end up is not wanting to go anywhere else but your home, right? Once you conquer a certain fear, you will want to stretch yourself even more further because now you're discovering a new part of yourself, a side you haven't seen before because you've been hiding away from the dragons in your life. Now, once you slay a dragon, you have the confidence to slay another. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you see somebody who is the slayer of dragons. Agoraphobia makes people feel trapped in their own minds. Even when I was home in my safe zone, I was suffering deeply. I began to need family close by so that I don't die from whatever I was going through. And what I was going through was a chaotic mind filled with baggage. My foundation was built on, up, upon sand. 
It was the perfect storm of all of my past mistakes, guilt, shame, as well as unanswered questions to why I was feeling this way. So start to explore your own mind. Explore yourself. How do you explore yourself? You have to spend time with yourself. You have to explore anxiety. You have to expose yourself. That is the cure for anxiety. And that's where I'm going to leave you on today's podcast episode. This one was a long one, but I wanted to get all my points in because it's really important. Agoraphobia is very common. And this is the point where you can end up when you're going through anxiety. And so I hope that this has helped you. And remember that there is no magic pill. Exposure and feeling that pain is necessary. That is the path. And so do not let anxiety define who you are. I will see you on the next podcast episode. Bye for now. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.